again rise from our seats for our scripture reading. Our scripture reading today comes from Luke chapter 23, verses 26 to 43. Please give your careful attention. This is God's word. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who, criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do, not, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. KCPC, if you could repeat after me with all the conviction that the Holy Spirit can muster inside you, repeat after me. Jesus paid it all. Amen. Jesus paid it all. Let's pray. Father, we come to you after a week of examining ourselves and intense wrestling with ourselves, seeing what is inside us. Father, we proclaim we are sick and tired of the sin that keeps us from you, from drawing closer to you, Father. It, as we draw closer to the cross of Jesus Christ, Somehow we're able to say, because your truth assures us that you paid it all when we didn't even know about these issues in our lives, when we didn't know how much we wouldn't love you, how much we wouldn't follow you, how much our pride and our lust and our evil would keep us away from you. And yet, even when we are sinners, you died for us and you showed your love to us. May that message never grow old, Father. May it be contextualized. May it make sense in the current circumstances that we live. But Father, let it overpower us and give us reason to delight in you today that you entered into Jerusalem and you carried the cross for us that sinners like me would be able to approach you, Father. And that is our greatest blessing for us today. May the Holy Spirit convict us of this fact today, and may our celebration and our joy be great. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Oh, today's going to be a rough sermon. <laughs> when people encounter the cross of Jesus Christ, they are literally at a crossroad. Uh, coming to the cross, no matter what stage of life you're in, forces you to make a decision, a crossroad. You have to make a decision. You are at a fork in the road. No matter what phase of life, the cross has a message for you today. It has not grown old. It is not an ancient piece of advice. It is news for you that has bearings upon how you live today and every single day of your life. We see five people, five types of people, approach Jesus today, and they are at a crossroad. And let's see what the cross says to them, what that says to us. And may the cross be seen for all its richness and its clarity and its simplicity and its power to save sinners like you and me. Amen? Let's look at verse 26. The first person to encounter Jesus at a crossroad was Simon of Cyrene. As they led him away, as they led Jesus away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene. This is forceful, uh, not voluntary who was coming in from the country, probably for Passover, to celebrate it, and laid on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. Simon of Cyrene carried the cross. Most likely a native of northern Africa, a black person, carried the cross. Why? Because Jesus was extremely weak prior to the crucifixion. If you look at Jesus' ministry and lifestyle, Traveling, itinerant preaching, uh, preaching, healing without rest, not having a retreat. He was a healthy 33-year-old man at the prime of his health. But after the scourging and the whipping, after Pontius Pilate's proclamation of this man as a man condemned to the cross, Jesus became weak. The cross is a sign of weakness. Now, Simon participated in carrying this cross and probably felt like, just before, like a righteous person. I'm on my way to Passover, and there's going to be a lamb that's killed for me to wipe me of my sins. And so he is suddenly forced to carry the beam of a criminal who Rome says was such a bad criminal that he deserved the most painful death in the world. And Cyrene would automatically, Simon would automatically say as he carried the cross, I don't deserve this. I was forced into this narrative. The cross is a narrative that is like a black hole and it draws me into the life of Jesus and a lot of times we're like, I don't need this. This is not my cross. I'm a decent person. I am righteous in my own sense. And that is the narrative of Simon of Cyrene. Why should I bear the cross of a sinner? But the grace given to him that we see in verse 26 is that he walked alongside Jesus carrying the cross. And this is me imagining, and I need this right now, as, as Simon was carrying the cross, participating in the suffering and the humiliation of Jesus Christ, the crowds jeered, mocked, probably also participated in the shame and suffering of being a sinner. 
And Simon suddenly found himself participating in the weakness and the loneliness and the shame of the cross of Jesus. And he probably came to realize by the miracle of the Holy Spirit that actually the sinless one who was carrying the cross was Jesus. And he deserved the shame and the mocking in his own case as he was carrying the cross. So he's carrying the cross alongside Jesus. Jesus is righteous, but I am not. A understanding that we see uh, taking place and later culminating. There's not too many things said about Simon of Cyrene after this. Uh, but later, Mark refers to leaders of the Roman church, uh, a Rufus, I believe, uh, who's a son of Simon, and most possibly him. He who participated in the loneliness of the cross. Jesus promises us today, no matter what stage of life you're in, if you are following after Jesus Christ, Jesus promises this. If anyone wishes to come after me, what? He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So many of you are surprised that Christianity doesn't give you happiness all the time. You believed in Jesus, now it's time for the dividends. Joy, peace, happiness, good children, health, peace, sustenance in Nova, freedom from depression, freedom from sexual temptations or economic temptations. You think that it's coming to you. You think you have it good after you believe in Jesus and you're surprised. That when you see the cross of Jesus, you're sucked into his narrative. You're seized and brought into the narrative, and you find yourself, what? Suffering. That is the message of the cross for those of you who believe that the cross is about upward mobility. The cross is about downward mobility in participation with the shame and lowliness of Jesus Christ in all of his weakness. And I ask you today, this is something I get from conversations, demeanors, attitudes, feelings. Uh, some of you are too confident in your flesh. Got it all together. I could make this work. Need Jesus every now and then. I pray that some of you would ooze with the weakness of Christ. I can't even hold a Saturday together, I discovered yesterday. Angry at one moment, having my car trunk slammed down on my head and bleeding from the scalp, and then uh, going home days, and then, you know, doing DT, and then uh, finding that I wasn't ready for this sermon. Uh, I can't live a single day uh, without mercy. Simon stands for people like you and me, caught unaware by the message of the cross, who find themselves dragged into Jesus' narrative, thinking that we have everything contained and knowing that we don't. And this is a message for you. If you are at this crossroad, if you just suddenly find, your, find yourself flung into the narrative of suffering, 
of lowliness and weakness. Here's a message of the cross for you. The cross is not about self-fulfillment. It is about self-denial. Therefore, carry your cross and suffer. Can we say amen to this? Those who participate in the weakness of Christ, blessed is your experience of the coming kingdom where you will see Jesus lifted high and you will participate in his joy and glory and power. That day is coming. But until then, don't run away from weakness. Savor the moments that you can't do anything and you just need Jesus that day. That's your only confession. That I need Jesus today. The second crossroad that we examine, verse 27 through 31, is the narrative of the weeping woman. There followed him a great multitude, men and women, who were mourning and lamenting. And turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but for yourselves and for your children. Why? Behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren. Usually they will say, Blessed are those who conceive, and cursed are those who are barren, because that was such a big covenant curse that we saw back in those times. It was a, it was, it was a sign of you being rebellious against God that you couldn't conceive. But Jesus is saying the opposite. Blessed are those who cannot conceive. Why? The wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nurse. Why? Jesus on the one hand, was keeping his eyes focused on the day that Jerusalem would fall and it would be a terrible death. Jesus wept over Jerusalem on many occasions. And so he's looking prophetically into the future. Verse 30, Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. Why is such a terrible day that's coming? And Jesus knew that his suffering upon the cross was a precursor to the coming suffering of Jerusalem and for the people of God and later for the church, but ultimately for the whole of the universe. There is a day, a terrible day of reckoning, of justice and judgment. So weep for yourselves, not for him. What's the principle behind this? At a greater level, Jesus is pointing to the reality of eternal punishment and separation from God that requires us to be sober and acknowledge it and weep on our behalf because these are the things that would happen if we did not trust in Christ. The weeping woman stands for those who see the suffering of the world but are unaware that there is greater suffering to come. I'm sorry this sermon is so dark. Jesus says, and he reinforces this, he puts the nail on the coffin. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? It's almost like Jesus is like blacking out because he's bleeding so much and he's saying weird things. But here's what he's saying. If the suffering of the innocent himself is on behalf of the wicked is so bad that it requires the pain of the cross. And the word we get for excruciating is excruciating from the cross. That's how bad the suffering is. Jesus is saying this, how much more so is the punishment of the sinners and the wicked who never repent and believe in Jesus on the last day? If the suffering of the innocent is so bad right now, how much worse will it be on the day where God comes and an unrepentant generation stands before him, not knowing who Jesus is and living their lives as their own, not acknowledging God as their Savior or their Lord or King, denying accountability, how great will be that suffering on that day? 
when we see the cross, yes, we think about the suffering that Jesus went through, but why did he suffer so? Why did he suffer so terribly? We hardly think that it is the suffering we would have gone through without Jesus' work on the cross. A huge message of the, of the gospel and of the cross is that of penal substitution. Jesus changed places with us that the wrath he, we deserved was placed on him. And the righteousness he deserved was placed upon us. There was a substitution of cosmic scale. Jesus, yes, he lived the life that you should live. Therefore, because he lived a life of perfect obedience that you and I could never live, that's why when you believe in Jesus, you get his righteousness and your, your righteousness is thrown out like rags and placed upon Jesus and he dies with it. But Jesus didn't just live the life that you should have lived. He died the death that we should have died. Therefore, when you believe in Jesus, another thing is you escape the wrath of God that's poured out upon all sin in the world. It's offensive when this is your sin, but it's not offensive and you recognize the need for judgment when it comes to Hitler or Stalin or Paul Pot or all the people that are just mass murdering in the world. Yet why can you not see the connection between your judgment and theirs? Terrible will be that day. And blessed is the news that if you believe in Jesus, God passes over because he substituted his son for you. Amen? The weeping women stand for the suffering people of this world who weep because of the sorrow and suffering and injustice they see in the world right now, yet who are uninformed about the coming judgment, about final accountability. And if this is you, not mindful of the future, I had many kingdom messages that kept on asking you to be awake for the kingdom. This message is for you. What is the cross telling you at your crossroad right now? The cross pours out God's wrath, not on you, but upon his son. Therefore, rejoice. Rejoicing is for the weepers. Rejoicing is for those who finally understand that I will not bear the sin of death and punishment and shame because Christ did so for me. May you be liberated. Every time I come up on the podium, I assess my heart as if we're doing communion and I ask myself, am I disqualified from preaching? And every week, yes, I'm disqualified. But why am I up here, the hypocrite that I, that I am, because Christ paid it all. And I can rejoice despite not knowing I don't have the merit to rejoice. Because Jesus offered it to me. Jesus took my place. What a wonderful piece of news that is. Verse 35 through 38. There is a new class of people that is shown. The mockers. The people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, slapped to the face, basically. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. 
There's also an inscription upon Jesus saying, this is the king of the Jews. The irony of this, of this scene, the comedy of this scene, the tragic comedy of this scene, is that they saw Jesus as a lowly carpenter who failed his mission, and they put on, him to, on, on his inscription uh, a mockery of him, that Jesus is king of the Jews. Why is that ironic? And paradoxical is because it's not that Jesus was not king of the Jews. It's because he was king of the universe. And they failed to recognize that. And they mocked him and slapped him and scorned him. That is the irony of this scene. And so Jesus says this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know. They're blind. What a crazy contrast we see between those who mock and scorn Jesus and the tender mercy and patience of Jesus. There's a Korean pastor who commented on this. He was like, the moment he was slapped and then, you know, uh, lifted a sour wine before him, like he was just joking. But um, like, it makes sense. Like Jesus would have pulled himself off the cross, exerted his divinity, and said, okay, I have a long ways to go, but I'm taking you with me. (laughs) So patient. Till the last moment, love indeed held him to the cross. Not the nails. Love held him to the cross. For people like this, slappers, mockers, accusers, ridiculers, I don't know what you see here, but what I see here is the necessity of the cross. It was so necessary because all of us have a blind spot towards the identity of Jesus, the work of Jesus. None of us acknowledge Jesus as he is. It is a blind spot. Therefore, it was necessary. He had to do this for us. Otherwise, we would always live like this all our lives, always rebelling against God, always hard of heart. You know, some people use this verse even, and they try to make it really fluffy and precious. And they're like, hey, Jesus loved you so much that uh, he, he, you know, because you're worth it. He carried the cross because you're worth it. And so be encouraged. You are of infinite value. Value is conferred, remember? Value is given. And there are some people who say, no, like, Jesus is so precious. Uh, uh, you, he, Jesus held you as so precious that he would do this over for you, over and over and over again, just for you. There's a nugget of truth to that, but what they're not getting from the scene is this statement. You're so bad that God had to die for you. You're such a terrible sinner, and you can't help it that Jesus had to die for you. The cross is not an ego booster. It's not meant to make you feel better. When you wear the cross, a necklace on your, uh, like, as, as an adornment, it's not you saying, look at how beautiful and precious Jesus made my life. What you're saying is, this is what I deserved. And this is why Jesus was necessary. Because I would have never seen this as the power of God for salvation. Because I never needed salvation in my worldview. The cross is not meant to be an ego booster. When you stand before the cross today, and I proclaim the message of the cross, if you don't see your own sin, 
Like, if you aren't able to look back at your past week and say, Jesus, this is why this was necessary. And you grasp at tangible moments of your past week and you're able to say, that's why you dying for me was necessary. You look at how you interact with your spouse. That's why it was necessary. You look at how you use your time and your money. And you say, Lord, this is why it was necessary. The cross is deeply offensive. One of the last idols to fall in the Christian life. And many of us still hold on to this because it's the last idol of our lives usually. Is the idea that I am still reasonably decent. You don't understand total depravity. You're kind of depraved, but you're still okay. You're still okay, still decent. That's why when churches fight, everyone's fighting because they're still a decent person and the other person is not. When students fight, it's because they're a decent person and the other person is not. But Jesus tells you, this is necessary for you. You need this because you're so evil. How does the church become a radically loving community? It starts with me. I am wrong all the time. I don't get God. I don't get his priorities. I don't understand his love. I don't understand what it means to be accountable to him. Therefore, the cross was necessary and it's offensive. The mocking soldiers stand for those who are hostile to the message of God in their self-sufficiency and pride and arrogance. They are blind to their own sin. And so they are blind to the need for Christ. And if this is you today, reasonably decent, this is a message for you at the crossroad. The cross reveals our fallenness, not our worthiness. The cross reveals your fallenness, not our worthiness. Therefore, what's the response to the cross in this crossroad? Repent, dear brother and sister. Talked about this yesterday. This is my basic starting point. It's the starting point of my fallenness. Whenever I get into an argument, if it's not for the health of a church, if it's not for the glory of God, I will by default lose to you. Because, number one, I know that in myself there is nothing worth expressing to the world because I am a fallen sinner. And so this has so many practical implications if you start with total depravity. And so I won't fight with you because I'm always wrong before God. Unless the Bible tells me so. How do you humbly love your wife? It's because it's hard to do so because you think you're right. But when you know you're wrong, you can kneel and serve. The cross reveals your fallenness. Any Christian worth his salt knows that they amount to nothing. And the power of the church comes from there because when we are nothing, once again, remember, you don't lack one thing, you don't lack two things, you lack everything. Therefore, the power of Christ works in the church because you are all empty vessels who need the Holy Spirit. Amen? 
So many of you are taking DT. So many of you already finished DT. So many of you are becoming leaders in the church. If you don't know this, you will be a terrible leader. You will hurt people left and right. You will always be right in your own eyes. Unless you understand that the cross reveals everything inside of you. Verse 39. One of the criminals, now we come to a criminal now, who were hanged, railed at him, saying, railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Mockery mixed with anger, mixed with blindness towards his own situation. Why is he hanging on the cross? Because he deserved it. Blind at that fact. And he rails at the Savior of the world to save us. This is the human condition of total depravity taken to the final conclusion. Some can still look at the crucifixion of Jesus and still be unrepentant to the end. So many people saying, no, I am still in control of my life on their deathbeds. Still saying, I am the Lord of my life. Hundreds of times you hear the gospel. Hundreds of times I told you that the Lord is sovereign. Hundreds of times I told you that you must repent. And still yet at the end of your day, no response. Blindness. Unawareness. The forgiveness of the cross, it extends forever, yes, but the window of opportunity for one man or woman's lifetime is short because it's limited by your physical death. To respond to the forgiveness of the cross has an expiration date. And if any of you don't believe in Christ, I would literally kneel to you and crawl to you right now asking you, don't pass that expiration date. Respond to the grace of God. He forgives you and loves you. There's an expiration date. You're not always going to be coming to church one day. One day you're going to get into a car accident. One day you're not going to be able to get up. Suddenly one day you're just going to have unexplainable injuries or hurts and you won't be able to come to church. Can, you, can I guarantee that the Holy Spirit will still let you repent on that day? No, I can't. So when there is a window of opportunity and you hear the word of the Lord through a broken vessel like me saying, repent because God's kingdom is near and you must trust in the Lord as your Savior. Grasp that opportunity. Yes, when you are saved and we look back, I say, just along with Paul, I say that's predestination. God opened your heart. But when you are before that stage and you're still an unbeliever, I cry out like an Arminian, fear for your salvation, hold on to the Lord, seek his kingdom, love him with all your might, look at yourself and come to him. Because the window of opportunity is closing, my brother, closing, my sister. Jesus' hand will not be extended in forgiveness forever. One day, the nail-pierced hands of the Savior will wrap around a scepter and judge the nations. Before that time, before the absolute justice of Jesus Christ, it's still not too late. 
brother and sister. It's still not too late. I don't know, am I preaching to the choir? Like, you in the video watching online right now, do you believe in Jesus yet? Do you know that the window of opportunity is closing and one day Jesus will judge you before then it's still not too late and I plead with your soul, trust in the Lord. The sunset is coming over the horizon. Limited time to respond. Nobody can guarantee that your heart will be soft enough to respond to the gospel and not calloused. And so now, right now, when you hear this, when the Holy Spirit presses upon your heart, repent, trust in the Lord, and make a choice. Make a decision. Make the jump. The unrepentant criminal stands for those who have been exposed too long to the message of the gospel, and yet make no decision. Make no choice. If you are at this crossroad and you're still living totally for the world and totally for Christ and you think that's possible, I urge you today, this is a message of the cross for you today. The cross does not permit passive indecision, but it requires active decision-making right now. Do not fool yourselves. Jesus said it over and over. You can't live for money And you can't live for the cross, Jesus, at the same time. You can't serve two masters. And if you find yourself a lifestyle, in a lifestyle of schizophrenic sin and holiness, you come to Sunday, you're holy, you go to to home, and you're the most terrible sinner ever. I'm not saying that that's unredeemable. What I'm saying is you got to make a choice because the window is closing. Seriously, when we go to heaven, we need to see each other there, okay? (laughs) There's a joke. uh, Not even the right timing for this, but uh, there's a joke in the Korean church. Uh, Everyone went to heaven, and uh, uh, the most surprising confession in heaven is this. Number one, (laughs) you made it to heaven. (laughs) I made it to heaven. And then the biggest surprise, where's her pastor? (laughs) The window's closing. (laughs) Let's not be caught off on surprise that day. Know who the Lord is today. If you're familiar with him today, he'll be familiar forever. I invite you, I invite you, I invite you. The final picture that we need, verse 40 to 43. But the other criminal rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me Paradise. We see the most rudimentary, the most bare bone elements of a saving faith in this confession today. That's why I have so much hope for all of you. The bare bone confessions of a living faith that Jesus acknowledges and brings to heaven. What is this? Do you not fear God? In other words, accountability to a creator. 
There is a higher power, and you acknowledge a creator. That is one amorphous element of the gospel is the backdrop of accountability towards a God who owns you, and he has this. And number two, we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. There is a repentance that acknowledges, I'm a sinner that deserves this circumstance right now, this punishment, and there's repentance. And so, acknowledgement of God's sovereignty, repentance, and then number one, no, number three, acknowledgement that Jesus is innocent. This man has done nothing wrong. The cross doesn't belong to him. He's on there for a different reason. And that's a rudimentary backbone of the gospel is that Jesus is on the cross for another reason. It's for me. And I believe that. And then it turns into a final confession. Lord, have mercy on me today. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Truly, I say to you, this is not advice. <laughs> this is not Jesus saying, let me make up my mind. Let me think about it the uh, next three hours. Truly, in Greek, amen, I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. It's not complicated. If you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he will save you from your sins and save you into eternal life. And that is mind-numbing, mind-blowing. How could this be true? And so it's too good to be true sometimes. Many people ask me, Pastor, um, I evangelize someone, but that person doesn't have any evidence of believing in Jesus. His actions haven't changed. He's still drinking. What do I do with this? The pastoral side of me uh, is like, okay, you know, you know what? Uh, you're saved by faith alone, but faith is never alone. It comes with good works. Therefore, good works will demonstrate a living faith. Yes, that's true, but... This criminal was literally tied to a cross. He couldn't do anything to show his faith that he just had. He couldn't show good works. He couldn't wash someone's feet. He couldn't serve the poor. He was dangling there to die. And that's the hope that I have for you today. If you trust in Jesus, this is how simple it is. If you trust in Jesus, he will save you. I hope your actions show that you really do believe. But a living faith is here. I fear the Lord. He's my king. And I owe him a debt that I cannot pay. But Jesus paid it for me. Therefore, I believe that he will have mercy upon me if I believe. Because he promised so. And then, don't be surprised when God says, out of all the different religions out there, he doesn't tell you to bow 10,000 times or to do Ramadan or to, you know, good, do good works and charity. He doesn't tell you to go on missions. He just tells you, truly I say to you, you'll be with me in paradise. Because the gospel is that crazy. Do you see the sheer grace of God in this picture? You know, whenever people who are unaware of their fallenness and their sinfulness, they see the bad things happening in the world. Uh, this is the title of a book, actually. Uh, it's a philosophical book. And it says, why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, we're not there yet. Sorry, let's not, let's not go there yet. And so they say, why do bad things happen to good people? And that is the title of a book that's so fam uh, famous, it actually represents the story of many lives. But what you see in the criminal to the right of Jesus, the question needs to be totally rephrased. It changes too. Why do good things happen to bad people? 
Why do good things happen to bad people? Why does God love us so much? You know yourself. I know myself. Why is God good to us? That is the scandal of the cross. At such great price, God is not saying, okay, snap of my fingers. I'm going to be good to you now. I'm just going to change. He's saying, no, at a heavy price, at the loss of my only son, I will love you who never deserve my love. That is the confession that you get to hear as the criminal on the right. He stands for what? Those who know because their hands are literally tied to the cross, those who know that they cannot save themselves and rely upon the mercy and forgiveness of Jesus, if that is you, if you cannot save yourself and you've tried so long and so hard, and you know your worth only comes from Christ, forgiveness only comes from Christ, this is the message, the fifth message of the cross for you. The cross reveals what God did for us, not what we should do for him. Uh, let that saturate your heart right now. This needs to penetrate deeper. The cross reveals what God did for you already, not what you need to start doing for him right now. Do you get this? I am doing away with religion right now. The gospel is good news of what God already did for you before you had a choice in the matter, a say in the matter. Therefore, it doesn't say that you have to do this, 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 this to get saved. It's saying it's already been done. Accept it, appreciate it, rejoice in it, and cherish it, and glory in it. How crazy is this? Therefore, believe. Therefore, believe. Let's go to the last picture. The cross has been presented to all of us. Uh, the gospel for all walks of life. Uh, that's our motto. The gospel for all walks of life. No matter where you are, amen. The cross is still relevant. You will never graduate the cross You'll be at a different place, but the cross will tell you something different. The cross is not about self-fulfillment. It is self-denial. If you are a mature disciple, deny yourself. Suffer. Number two, the cross pours God's wrath not on you, but his son. Therefore, rejoice. Number three, the cross reveals your fallenness, not your worthiness. Therefore, repent every day of your lives. Enjoy, though. Enjoy. Fourth, the cross does not permis, permit indecision, but it demands action. So decide and choose. That's the fourth message. And the fifth one is this. The cross reveals what God did for you, not what we need to do for him. Believe. Believe. Please don't start making a list of things to do right now. It, your shoulders cannot bear the weight of your own salvation. Uh, you can't bear the load of your moral decisions if your own salvation is at stake. Instead, confess your sins to the Lord. Let the cross offend you out of your decency and repent. 
Receive the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ because God loves you so. God loves you so much. God loves you so much. Receive it. Let God love you. That's my problem this morning. I feel so terrible about myself. It's hard to let God love me. And the final response to the cross, let us give thanks to him forever. Amen? All the days of our lives, let us thank him forever. If you are a Christian, joy must be your first brand that you show to the world. I'm so happy that the Lord saved a person like me. So joyful. So thankful. May that be you today because you have come upon a crossroad and the cross of Jesus Christ demands an answer for you, for, from you today. How will you respond? I will leave it at that and invite the welcome and the, the praise team to come up and let's worship in response. Please identify where you are in your life stage, what the message of the cross is for you today, what decisions do you have to make today, what emotions or uh, decisions or willpower do you have to be experiencing right now, or what has to happen to you in all of your passivity that God has to love you. I want you to ponder that and respond to the cross because today is Palm Sunday and we are getting near Good Friday. Be intentional, be mindful as we sing this song together. Let's all rise.